0: Hello. Hello. Who is this? I'm Jay, and this is the Rewatch Podcast. I watch movies all the time. Then I like to rewatch them. And sometimes I'll even watch them again. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad or just downright terrible. I'm going to watch them and then tell you all about them. And sometimes I'll have special guests join me. This is the Rewatch Podcast. Welcome back to the Rewatch Podcast. I am Jay Thomas. And today we are going to take a look at a movie that is turning 25 years old today today's the 25th anniversary of the 1996 west craven classic scream hello hello who is this you tell me your name i'll tell you mine <laughs> i don't think so what's that noise popcorn you making popcorn well i'm getting ready to watch a video really what Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now, he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act. She's always running up the stairs and she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Hey, this <laughs> Never, ever. Never, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back, because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. You don't make the rules. The police are always on track. If they watch Palm night, they save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Not scary, are you? I didn't actually see scream when it first came out I didn't see it in the theater I was 14 I couldn't get into R-rated movies at that point point. and I remember um when I did eventually see it one of the bad things about it was I had the ending of scream spoiled for me by a teacher spoilers were not huge at that point like people didn't freak out about spoilers but you would think in a movie that is essentially a horror murder mystery you would maybe keep your stupid mouth shut but they didn't and i knew what was going to happen uh but i'm getting way ahead of myself i just want to talk about how much i love this movie it was one of the first movies i remember seeing that really blended horror and comedy i mean it's not it's not the first movie um the first uh, one of the earliest ones i remember really is uh American Werewolf in London, which I'm sure there was others that did it, but usually if it was funny, it was a comedy first, horror second. And I remember American Werewolf blended it really well, and then Scream did it extremely well, and they added that whole meta element of, we know we're a scary movie, this is how you get away from scary movies, they gave you the rules, and just kind of completely ripped apart the horror movie, and it sort of needed it, especially the slasher genre, which is exactly what this is. I have seen this I don't even know how many times I bought it numerous times I have the video cassette which I bought twice I forgot that when they, the VHS's came out they had a Drew Barrymore a Nev Campbell and a Courtney Cox cover special edition ones and I had the Drew Barrymore one and I had kind of forgotten that over the years and at, at that point I had lost it or sold it or something and then I re it on eBay last year because you know pandemic you do you do crazy stuff. I bought the the VHS, I bought the DVD twice because I had the DVD by itself, and then I bought the box set, Uh, and then I bought the Blu-ray, and I bought it on digital, and (laughs) I just bought the 4K Blu-ray, which looks gorgeous. That's what I rewatched this on for the first time in, I don't know, a couple months. (laughs) I watch Scream multiple times a year, Uh, and I watch the other one, the sequels, too, for me, they're just comfort movies, really, now. They're movies that I can watch anytime. Scream 3, for me, is a good napping movie, because I don't really care about that one all that much. Scream 4 I almost never watch. I kind of forget that Scream 4 exists, and I'm curious when the new Scream, which is just titled Scream, by the way, I hate that. I hate when franchises do that. Stupid. What's wrong with saying it's Scream 5? We know there's other Screams. Why are you doing this? Uh, By the way, I can't wait to see that movie. But it'll be interesting to see how much they include of Scream 4. I know at least one character returns, so that's kind of neat. But let's talk about this first Scream movie and how just amazing it was. I mean, Wes Craven directed it. Creator of a Nightmare on Elm Street. The Hills Have Eyes. People Under the Stairs, which we've done on the show before. uh, Another one of my favorites. That was one of the earliest horror movies that I remember seeing. and, And Scream really got me into the genre a lot. But Wes Craven... I've never really been overly scared of his movies. I believe I had seen Wes Craven's New Nightmare before this, which is sort of the precursor of Scream. If you watch that and then think Wes Craven's next movie was Scream, it makes total sense. Like It it almost is Scream to a point. And then you had Kevin Williamson, a screenwriter, kind of coming out of nowhere, writing this amazing script, which then got him Dawson's Creek, which I've oddly talked about on this show, like probably more than I, I should have. And uh, it was just this clever movie that was sort of a tribute to horror movies but also its own horror movie but the thing with scream i keep saying it's horror it is it's definitely in the horror genre there's people getting slashed It's a slasher movie uh i've never found it scary i know people that are were terrified of the mask never scared me i never there's never been a part in scream where i jumped i was compelled by the story and the whodunit aspect of it and the mystery that wrapped it up plus it's bloody i like gore it, it, I thought it, weird. it worked really well. Plus, it got me into my love of the movie Halloween which with its many references to Halloween. In fact, it uses its soundtrack and the whole end of it. Um, but I think one of the things that really got me interested was I Drew Braymore at that point was like the biggest star in the movie. I mean, I loved her since E.T. You watch the movie and that opening scene with the, with, with the killer calling, and which was taken from A Stranger Calls which I've never seen that one. I've seen A Stranger Calls Back, which I don't know why I saw the sequel before I saw the original one, but um, very similar to the opening scene of of that movie. And just quizzing about these movies, and I'm like, I know stuff about movies. I love movies. Like, that's the thing. Like, I'm a big movie fan, and I have been since I was a little kid. I've loved movies and talking about movies and movie trivia. So this this killer is quizzing Drew Barrymore, who I've had a crush on since I was an infant. This is a magical movie. And then, out of nowhere... (laughs) She dies within ten minutes of the movie, and I keep in mind at this point I'd never seen Psycho. I didn't know this was a thing where like a big superstar could possibly die in a movie. No one saw that coming. Everybody, she she was on the posters. She was all over the trailers and everything. And not only that, but she's like brutally stabbed in slow motion, which almost got cut out of the movie. The uh, NPAA wanted it out. They're like, no, we're not. We're not taking that out. It's one of the coolest shots in the whole thing. And then she just gets stabbed again and again while her mom's listening to it on the phone and then she's hanging from a tree with her guts dangling out, and her boyfriend's guts were dangling out. It was just so gross, and uh, they almost got an NC-17 rating. In fact, they did a lot. Wes Craven said he cut quite a bit out to uh, get that R rating. That opening scene was so good, and it was creepy. I mean, I'll give you you that one. That was creepy, but for some reason, the second I saw the ghost face and the costume, I was not scared of it. Like, I actually kind of thought it was sort of funny, which it defeats the purpose, and you think, well, doesn't that make it not a successful horror movie? No, I just don't get scared in slasher movies. I don't think they're that scary. The next scene, you, you meet Nev Campbell as uh, Sidney Prescott, the heroine of all of these movies, and her boyfriend, Billy, shows up, who uh, Wes Craven says he did not think he looked like Johnny Depp, which I thought he did, and I thought it was a nod to him, Casting Johnny Depp in A Nightmare on Elm Street, because I thought Skeet Orich in this movie looked like Johnny Depp from A Nightmare on Elm Street, like, specifically. And he's like, no, I never, it never even crossed my mind. I don't think they look alike. i was like, what? Not that I asked him that. It was in the commentary that I listened to on the 4K. Which is funny, because I have listened to that commentary before. It was on the original DVD. That was the funnest thing about listening to the commentary on the 4K, was that it was recorded in 1996. Like the sequels hadn't even come out. The first one, which they made and came out a year later, uh, hadn't even been made yet. And they were recording it. So the weirdest thing about the commentary, I know I'm getting on an, off on a tangent, but it's screaming I'm definitely going to get off on a tangent lots of times. They kept praising the Weinsteins. Not Harvey, but Bob Weinstein because he was the, out of the, they produced the movie from Dimension Films. At least at least they weren't saying super nice things about Harvey. In fact, I don't even think he was mentioned once. And This is probably the most I'll ever talk about that guy. That was the thing I thought was kind of interesting on the commentary. Because when I bought the 4K, I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool. It's 25 years later. I'm sure they've done a lot on this thing. The 4K, it looks amazing. It sounds amazing. The special features are kind of crap. I mean, they could have made a new commentary. Obviously not with Wes Craven, but maybe Kevin Williamson or the cast. It would have been nice to have the cast. I love everybody in the cast. I would have loved to hear them talk about it but they had a, they have a special feature from the set of the new movie talking about how great the original movie is and that's about it then they've got other things that have already been released previously so there's not like the new 4K is not that great other than it looks and sounds amazing like I was blown away by how good that movie looked and I always thought it looked good but it was so crystal clear I mean I, I couldn't get over it but back to uh, Sydney's bedroom where you find out just how kind of sleazy Billy is in a way. Like He just sneaks through her bedroom window wanting to have a little boom boom after watching The Exorcist because, you know, that turns everybody on. And she pushes him away. She's a little little guarded. And that's cool. You're in high school. Settle down a little bit. Uh, you meet her dad briefly. He just comes to say, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going out of town. I'll be gone for a few days. Bye. That was basically it. that's what that's what her dad does. And uh, then you you go uh, to school and you meet the rest of the cast, which I've said earlier. I absolutely love this cast. You got Rose McGowan playing Tatum, Sydney's best friend. You've got Stu played by Matthew Lillard, who is uh, Billy's best friend. You've got uh, Jamie Kennedy as Randy, basically the audience, basically me, <laughs> which I I sort of hate to admit that, but that was the thing. like me and a couple of my friends, like we're Randy and we finally saw ourselves in this movie. Like, I'm never the leader in kid movie groups. Like, I always thought I was. I'm not. I'm this other (laughs) named Randy, who watches movies nonstop, and that's all he does. And he knows trivia about movies. There's the opening scene in The Fountain where they're talking about uh, just what the murder of uh, Drew Barrymore and her boyfriend, and they get kind of graphic with what they're talking about. How do you gut someone? Take a knife and you slit them from the groin to sternum. Hey, it's called tact, you. That scene in the script made it so the school that they were going to film in, they got to that scene and they're like, "No, you can't film here because kids shouldn't be talking like this." We're like, well, "Have you been around kids?" That's what that kids talk like. That kids are. A- did you really put her liver in the mailbox? Because I heard that they found her liver in the mailbox next to her spleen and her pancreas. But I love that scene. You get to, you're really introduced to everybody. Um, Billy seems a little shady. Stu seems obnoxious. Better live her alone. <laughs> live her alone. <laughs> Randy also is very obnoxious. And Tatum's sarcastic. She just texts me and... In- Not anymore. And I really, I think that's a good way to to introduce the characters. In fact, anytime they did a movie after this, they always had something that was like close to that, but it never was quite right. Even the movies that tried to be Scream always kind of had like an introductory scene with the the main characters. And it just, oh, it was never quite the same as that moment by the fountain. At the school, you also meet uh, Dewey, Tatum's brother, played by David Arquette. And I love Dewey. I always have loved Dewey. I think David Arquette's awesome. I think he's underrated. He seems a little crazy, like for real. Uh, the only, at this point, the only thing I'd ever seen David Arquette in was uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. He plays Luke Perry's best friend. And I think he's great in that. And that's probably why I liked him in this was because I like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which it, 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 they're two are not even close. I've always been a big fan of uh, David Arquette. You get a brief glimpse of Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers and this as she's doing a newscast about the murders. Everybody's going crazy. It's a... Big hoopla at the school. You know, Courtney Cox is like, I love her as Gil Weathers because she's kind of like a terrible person. Like in most instances, you would think, well, this is kind of an awful human being. Like she cashed in on Sydney's mom, uh, her murder because she thinks Cotton Weary is innocent, which he might be. Uh, so she wrote a book, and she's just very opportunistic. But she's kind of like that awful that you enjoy rooting for. An innocent man on death row. A killer still on the loose. Kenny, tell me I'm dreaming. You want to go live? No, no, no. I'm so fast. We don't have anything concrete. This is huge. You can't just sit on it. I know. That's why we need proof. If I'm right about this, I could save a man's life. Do you know what that could do for my book sales? And there's the, there's a scene outside the police station when, uh, right after Billy's been arrested and Sydney's trying to sneak out, Gail figures out there's the back entrance and goes and checks it out. So, how's the book? Well, it'll be out later this year. Oh, I'll look for it. I'll send you a copy. <coughs> oh! Oh, I love it. It's it's so good. I mean, you, you want Sydney to punch her in the face, but then you kind of want Gail to do something else. And it, it's just kind of fun to watch that character. I mean, she's awful, but a good awful. Uh, you meet the principal played by Henry Winkler, The Fonz, which he didn't he didn't pop up in things at this point. Like, he pops up in a lot of things now. Like, he w- this was, like, the first thing I'd seen him in in years. And it wasn't like Arrested Development had come out yet, so he wasn't in that, being goofy, and then just playing a goofy version of Henry Winkler in everything after that. Uh, this was one of the rare times that he was in something, so it's like, oh, hey, I mean, he's not even credited in the movie. As the movie goes on, I mean, they've got these really great moments where they they comment on horror movies like nev campbell in the trailer even has that moment where she's talking about how stupid horror movies are with some big-breasted girl going up the stairs and should be going out the front door which literally is what she does like moments later and i always liked that i mean i always liked that they were commenting on it but then literally doing it but not in a way that's like oh crap we're just falling into the rut like they were actually just following it and i i like that i always thought that was uh, a cool thing i liked her house. I like how I don't know why I like this moment, but when she falls asleep, she goes home, she falls asleep waiting for Tatum to pick her up, and then when she wakes up it's night. I hate that. I hate it when I do that, when I fall asleep. Especially right now, this time of year, when it's dark at like four thirty. You lay down for a little bit and you wake up and it's like, Oh crap, what day is it? What is happening? Can you imagine doing that and then waking up and hearing, Hello, Sydney? Like, no thanks. I don't want to deal with that. I am not. I don't even know what day it is. And now there's a killer calling me. Um, that scene's great because they foreshadow her opening the closet door, and they have, like, a, a sound cue. Like, the music and Scream, there's a lot of sound cues of, like, where scary things are. And they, they really, that was something that they kept doing a lot in movies afterwards, um, very specifically Scream-sounding sound effects. And there's nobody in the closet, which there usually is. And then, of course, later, surprise, there's somebody there. And, you know, the killer tries to attack her, and then Billy comes and shows up, and the killer's gone, She's so you're like, oh, weird, and the police arrest him, because it's like, well, I mean, he's probably the killer, right, and he's arrested, but it's like, it's too early, we're like 25 minutes into the movie, there's no way this guy could be the killer, that's stupid, he's got a cell phone, so that instantly makes him a suspect, which is funny, because yeah, 96, I didn't have a phone, I didn't have a cell phone until, geez, probably 2002 or three, somewhere around there, probably when I was... In college, so 2000, maybe 2001. It was it was around then. Um, they were not common for everybody to have cell phones. And if they did, they were big. Like, they were big phones. Um, they were just starting to get a little bit smaller uh, by that time. So Billy is is uh, in the police station. Then the costume is left behind. And, and you find out that this is literally, there's nothing special about this costume. They say it's it's sold at every five and dime in the state. So then it's like, well, this literally could be anybody, if it's not Billy. But then Billy gets to let go. But that night, while he's at the police station, Killer calls Sydney while she's staying at Tatum and Dewey's house. So then it's like, well, it can't be Billy because the killer called. Well, he was in jail, so it can't be him. Then the, there's the ne- the scenes the next day at the at the school where Sydney's in the bathroom, which I guess the scene was almost cut. This is like one of the most famous scenes where these girls are talking mad about her and about how slutty her mom is, uh, which is rude. Even if it turns out to be true, it's rude. They didn't know she was there. She was hiding in the in the stall after she had a, a fight with Billy because he's like, I just want to have sex with you. Can't we just have sex? I mean, I know your mom was like raped and murdered, but like, let's just do it. That's not the exact dialogue, but it's pretty close. And then she goes running crying into the bathroom and she comes out. And this this never made sense. And I could see why they almost cut it. But then Ghostface is in that bathroom in a stall. How long has Ghostface been in the stall? No one really knows. But he's in there and the boots come down and then the like uh, the robe comes down, which I always liked. I thought that was kind of a cool shot, but it doesn't really make any sense. They would have had to know that Sydney had to pee to be in there. And like, how long were they there? And if you have seen it and you know who the killers are, I don't know that it makes sense at all that one of them would be in there because I'm pretty sure we've seen them both at this point not going in the bathroom before Sydney. So I don't know. And if they snuck in before she came out and after the girls left the bathroom, um, they would have been seen by those girls. So I don't know. It's a weird part. They said they almost took it out, but they didn't because it kind of showed that Sydney's starting to second guess her mother and what she believes. And I, I get that. But then because there's this attack of, of Sydney at school, they're like, all right, curfew now. The town's being shut down. Uh, classes have been suspended which then everybody's super excited why are you doing this are you kidding me look at this place it's like Christmas and that can only mean one thing to Stu it's party time we're gonna have a party so when they're all going to get ready for this party uh, we go back to the principal's office where there's people that have been running around in ghost faced outfits and he threatens them and it's like, you can't be doing this, and blah, 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 blah. They leave, and when he comes back in, there's Ghostface again, and he gets killed. And the only reason he gets killed is because they didn't have enough death in the movie. That was one of the notes from um, Bob Weinstein was like, nothing really happens for a large chunk of the movie. You need to add another body in there. And so the principal worked out. And it made sense because then it got people to leave the party later to go find him at the goalpost on the football field. Which sounds horrific. I mean, I'm sure he was just hanging with his guts out just like uh, Drew Barrymore was. But that would have been kind of fun to go over there and see that. I don't think uh, they would have done it. Uh, Before that, uh, Henry Winkler, before he gets murdered and you see the cool shot of the Ghostface mask in his eye. uh, Wes Craven's in there as the janitor wearing the original Freddy Krueger sweater. That doesn't have stripes on the arms. Which once you realize that, that there's no stripes on the arms, it looks so weird when you go back and watch The First Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, I don't think I ever really noticed it until Scream. And then when I went back and watched him, I'm like, oh, my God, his suit looks so incomplete. Or not his suit, but his outfit. There should be stripes there, and there's not. He's got stripes from the second movie on, like on the arms. It's like when they they brought up the, the Snyderverse version of Superman, and he didn't have underwear over his pants. That's where they belong. Everybody knows underwear usually goes under pants except Superman, so we're just going to let him do it because he's Superman. He can laser our faces off. And there's a couple weird scenes after school. Sidney and Tatum are talking on, I would assume, Tatum's porch, about, you know, what Sydney believes about her mom and Richard Gere shoves gerbils in places, you know, that old song and dance. And you see Ghostface in the bushes. And I don't like that either. It doesn't make sense that he would be there in costume. Like, where and where does he go? And then later they're shopping at like a grocery store and they see the Ghostface reflection. They don't see it, but we get to see it in um like a cooler, like where beer lives, what the hell's Ghostface doing getting groceries? I mean, I know everybody's got to get groceries at some point, but you'd think maybe he'd take the costume off. And how the hell did they not see it? It looks like it's maybe a couple aisles deep. I've never... i Those are two parts in a row that I absolutely hate. And I feel like they're probably added on just to throw Ghostface in there more. But they make no sense, and... Those are my least favorite moments in, I think, 90s movies in general. Another scene I like a lot, and it happens right before the party, is you get to see Randy at the video store that he works at. And uh, this lady comes up to Randy and asks, what's the what's the werewolf movie with E.T.'s mom in it? He lets her know it's The Howling, uh, which I don't think is as good as American Werewolf in London, but that's a whole nother podcast. But every time I see Dee Wallace, who you know played E.T.'s mom, or Elliot's mom, not E.T.'s mom, I always think of that line every single time I see her in a movie or I see her name on something. It was her birthday like a month and a half ago or something. and I think I said it on the radio and I think I referenced her as E.T.'s mom. And it's 100 percent from Scream. Uh, but that seems really good, too, because that it's sort of the first time you get like a darker image of Stu a little bit. And he's coming up with theories of like who could be the killer. And he's throwing Sydney's dad's name out there. And he's like, no, it's not him. I mean, if you watch any scary movie, like, it's not him. Like, he's a red herring. And he still thinks it's actually Billy. He's got killer printed all over his forehead. Okay. Really? Why'd the cops let him go, smart guy? Because obviously they don't watch enough movies. This is standard horror movie stuff. Prom night revisited, man. Billy and Stu kind of corner Randy in this uncomfortable scene. And you definitely get to see, like, Billy's, he's a little off still. And why is Stu so close to Randy? That's what I always take from it. Stu's a very close person, and I, you don't really want him. Matthew Lillard's kind of a big guy. It's uncomfortable. And then the whole last section of the movie um, is is them at a party at Stu's house. And that's where Randy tells the rules of the movies. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Uh, horror movies. Um, and they're watching horror movies. They're watching Halloween, which I thought I could do that. Like, I thought I could be cool and have people over and watch horror movies. Um, people leave after the first movie or before it's even over. A couple times in my high school career, I had people over. We watched Bride of Chucky. We watched Halloween. People didn't stay through Bride of Chucky. And I think we finished Halloween, but I don't really remember. And if we did, everybody left after that. And I'm like, oh, this is nothing like Scream. Might have also been that my parents were also home upstairs doing laundry. Yeah, that probably didn't help. I never really went to a high school party where there was, like, you know, a party going on with music and drinking and probably drugs. I just didn't go and do that. I was the kind of guy that stayed home and played Mario Kart. So I don't know how authentic this was. But uh, it did seem like a good time, uh, you know, until all the murdering happens. Uh, Tatum's is probably the most memorable death in the whole movie, where she goes out to the garage and it's very visibly cold in that garage. She goes to get more beer for everybody and Ghostface is in there and she uh, has a little witty banter with him and then uh, tries to escape when she realizes it's not Randy. Everybody always thinks it's Randy, which I think is really funny and would have been great if it ended up being Randy, which I don't know if it was ever supposed to be Randy, but I could have definitely seen it. They reference it being him so many times because he's such a horror movie obsessed person. He cuts her. And then she throws beer bottles at him, which I thought was great. Uh, Once in the junk and then once in the face. Uh, Perfect places to hit somebody, especially if you're pretty sure it's the guy. Uh, And then she goes to get out the garage through the doggy door. And, well, it doesn't quite work. She gets stuck. Garage door goes up. Her head goes squish. It's a classic scene and great. But then back at the party, uh, you know, Tatum's dead now. They're watching Halloween in the living room. Uh, Randy and Stu and a bunch of other teenagers that look like they have mortgages. And uh, Billy shows up. He goes upstairs with Sydney. They actually have sex, which is one of the rules: uh, the the main girl can't have sex or you die. Oh, look. Look. Big no, Big no! dead man. Oh, sex equals yes. death. Okay. She's fine. Um, Gail Weathers is also at the party, but she's there and meets up with Dewey, and Dewey kind of escorts her around, and they find Sydney's dad's car parked a couple miles away. And right right now, the police sort of think that Sydney's dad is maybe the killer, but they haven't really said it out loud to anybody. But now Gail knows that this is a possibility, and uh, they get back to the truck to warn everybody, and because uh, they've got a, a hidden camera in the house. And when they go to check it, they realize, oh crap, there's a delay. What's going to happen? And Ghostface comes and slits the camera guy's throat. It's uh, it's pretty brutal, and uh, I think it's fantastic. And then after uh, Sydney and Billy. Finally, I consummate the relationship. She starts kind of quizzing him on, like, who was is, who is his phone call in jail? Because she starts putting together, like, well, he still could have called me, like, very easily. And he's like, it was my dad. Like, you don't still think I did it, right? And as he's saying this, Ghostface shows up behind him, stabs him, flap, flap, flap. That's what stabbing sounds like, flap, flap, flap. And uh, Sydney escapes. Ghostface is very easy to juke past. Like, uh, in a video game, if it was like a football one, you could just hit X you'd get by Ghostface super easily. He's not the best at uh, tackling people. And then he chases Sydney around for quite a while, long enough for her to find dead bodies, because she's the final girl. That's exactly what happens. Sydney's like the final girl of this generation, actually. And he, she gets chased all over the place, and they end up in a, a, a scene where she's in a jeep, and Ghostface has got the keys, and he keeps unlocking it. And it, that's a pretty effective, creepy scene. Um, eventually she breaks out and Randy comes running saying that Stu has freaked out and killed Tatum, which I don't know how he knows that. Cause we don't see Randy ever finding bodies, but apparently he goes and does that. And, uh, Stu's like, no, it was him. It was him. And, and she says, fudge you both. I don't believe one of you goes in the house. Billy's alive, falls down the stairs. you are like, how's Billy alive? He's been stabbed a bunch of times. They let Randy in. Randy's all like, ah, oh, Stu's. Flipped out, he's gone mad. Then Billy turns around with his look, he's like, we all go a little mad sometimes. No, Billy! And you're like, oh no, Billy's the crazy psychopath. He has been the whole time. And then Stu shows up, Sydney runs to Stu. Surprise, Sydney! Oh my God, are there two killers? And the answer to that is yes, there are two killers. And that is what my teacher said in my, uh, whatever class it was in high school, he was talking to somebody else, and was like, yeah, could you believe there were two killers? I'm like, what the f***, man? How could you reveal that? Why would you, re- why, come on! Now, if you're thinking, Jay, you're doing the same thing right now, you know what, you've had 25 years to see Scream. If you haven't seen it, why the hell are you listening to this right now? By the way, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. I need all the listeners I can get. The whole ending of this movie is great. I love, like, the whole last fourth of this movie with with the party, because the house is so cool, but they get Sydney trapped in the kitchen, and uh, they're posed very similarly. Stu's hanging out behind Billy, much like he did to Randy, and then you're like, oh, these guys have been together the whole time. Are they together together, like murderous boyfriends? We don't really know, but I do feel like it might be slightly implied, and apparently I'm not alone, because in Scary Movie, the parody of this the killers are definitely together in that so i think it is sort of implied that maybe there's something going on with billy and stew but uh when they turn evil i just love the way matthew does it he gets a little spitty he's a little sweaty it's it's really kind of gross it's a fun game sydney see we ask you a question and if you get it wrong you die you get it right you die you're crazy, both of you. I actually prefer the term psychotic. But Billy just seems, Skeet Ulrich plays it like such a psychopath. Like, I'm, even today when I see him in things, I'm like, you're creepy. I don't like it. And they try to say that, like, there's no motive in what they're doing. They're just doing it because of the movies. Well Stu says that, Billy gets very angry and starts stabbing him about it. Because he's basically like, we're already psychopaths. They're just making us more creative. The movies are making us creative. They, they're not the reason for this. And he proceeds to go stabby stabby on everybody. So well, maybe, um, but you find out there actually is a motive. Billy's ma or Billy's dad uh, screwed around with uh, Sydney's mom, and Billy's mom left because of it. And then Billy went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. You go back and you rewatch the movie, trying to figure out like who killed who. Kevin Williamson said when he wrote that there was going to be the two of them. He didn't worry about trying to figure out if it made sense where they were. He thought he's like ah, Wes Craven can deal with that, which I guess that makes sense then. When you think of the bathroom scene, when they Billy and Stu start stabbing each other to make it look like they've been attacked too, it's just it's it's really violent. They had to cut a lot of that, and you can tell because most of the time when Billy starts to go crazy and stabs Stu a lot, you don't see it. It's off camera, and they said they had to cut most of it uh, because the MPA freaked out about that. And then when you go and you look at Stu again, he's like covered in blood, and he starts to get all woozy and. Starts about passing out, and uh, eventually it all kind of comes to a head, and and Sydney prevails by dropping a TV on Stu's head, and then shooting Billy multiple times, then finally in the head. And Gale also comes and helps out. Randy survives even though he's been shot um, in the shoulder. And uh, I love, I love the movie. It's so good. I could watch it over and over again. Like I just know this movie. Frontwards and backwards. I had the soundtrack to all three movies. I didn't go with the fourth one. I didn't really care at that point, because at that like when they were coming out, I thought if I liked the movie, I'd like the soundtrack. That is almost never true. And if the movie sucks, the soundtrack's probably good. That's what I've learned. This movie was so huge. I mean, it didn't do well its opening weekend. So it cost fourteen million to make. It opened with six million in the U.S. and Canada, but then ended up grossing over a hundred million. Worldwide, was 172 or 173 million. I mean, that's huge. And then it was so big. Within a year, like when I bought the video for Scream, the tr- the teaser trailer for Scream 2 was on it. And I really enjoy Scream 2 a lot. I think Scream 2 is a very good sequel. The killer reveal is a little much, and I guessed one of the killers, just based on the trailer. I remember I blew my friend's mind because he's like, who do you think it is? And I said who I thought it was just based on the teaser. He's like, holy s***. How did you get that? Uh, I didn't ever see the other one coming. Scream 3 is basically the Scooby-Doo of the Scream movies. Like, they're killers leaving clues. They're I like that they're in Hollywood on the set of the Scream movie or the Stab 3 I think that's kind of fun. The fourth movie is better than three, but it's very, it's kind of forgettable. Like there's a lot going on and it's just, it was 10 years after the last one. So I'm interested to see where this new one goes. The new one opens in January. I uh, i don't know that I'm going to rush to the theater to see it, but I am very excited. But Scream was such a huge breakthrough. Like for me alone, it was kind of my gateway drug into horror movies. Like I had seen some, but I got really into them after I saw Scream. I mean, because of Scream, Shortly after, you you had all these movies, all these teen slashers. Like, it basically reinvented that genre. But they were all trying to be like Scream, and none of them could quite do what Scream did. Like, it it would do the whole meta thing and comment on itself. and But it just wasn't, like, it was like, well, Scream already did that. And that even happened with the Scream sequels, where they weren't quite as good as the first one. I think the second movie is about as close to being as good as the first one. um, But it definitely was... Uh, each next one was bad. I Know What You Did Last Summer, as far as a Scream ripoff, it's pretty close. And Kevin Williamson wrote that one. Uh, I actually like I Know What You Did Last Summer. I don't think it's great, but I enjoy it. Then you had stuff like Urban Legend, which, again, I like that one. I don't think it's that great. And they all did the same thing. They Every movie after that, before you would see the opening credit of what the movie was, there'd be an opening death. And then you do the credit. And it was always somebody that you were now familiar with. So you kind of knew who it was going to be. And, like, based on the trailer, you could watch it and be like, oh, that's the opening. That's the Drew Braymore scene. And they all did it. Every single one did it. And then it brought back Halloween with Halloween uh, H2O with Jamie Lee Curtis just a couple years later. In fact, Scream 2 is in Halloween H2O. And they do the opening scene thing. And there's a lot of music cues that sound like Scream. And then, you know, with all the sequels and all these movies that were just trying to be like it, you had Valentine, which is sort of like Scream mixed with Halloween, and it wasn't quite as good. I don't mind it, but it it wasn't quite as good. And, I mean, God, there's so many. I don't even remember all of them. Phantoms. I think it was another one that came out around the same time. Um, That it just kind of got, you know, it got old. And then the genre died about four or five years later. And then you had, like, the torture porn remake era. With the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then Saw and Hostel and all those things. And it just kind of evolved. So it'll be interesting to see then when this new one comes out, what it does. Because the, the fourth movie kind of commented on the super uber violent movies and the remakes and the reboots and the sequels. And that one kind of... The deleted stuff from Scream 4 is actually really good. And I, I wish they would have kept it and gone that way because it was basically somebody was remaking the deaths of the first movie and they were going with a whole remake thing, but then they changed it. It became kind of a uh, commenting on sequels and remakes and it just, it got kind of muddled. But I, uh, I really like the stuff that came after Scream and what it, it did for horror and for me personally it really got me more into movies and more into talking about movies because it was cool because it was like one of the rare movies where you had these characters just commenting on movies like i don't remember that very often in things so i mean clerks did it but uh i wasn't i hadn't seen clerks at that point mall had been out and they did that but like anything kevin smith i hadn't seen until probably 97 or 98 so this was all like new territory for me but i got interested in directors and writers and you know, producers. I got interested in the more behind the scenes stuff when it came, and I think it was because of Scream. I, I think it was because it was they mentioned directors, they mentioned you know writers and stuff like that, and I that was all new to me. But it really, yeah, changed the way I watched movies and the way and the kind of movies that I watched. Um, sure, it ended up being all ridiculous after a while, but when you go back and you watch Scream, it holds up. I think, in fact, the reason why I'm pretty confident that it holds up really, really well. My cousin's daughter is eight years old. She loves Scream. It's like her favorite movie right now. That and Child's Play. But she loves Scream and got very obsessed with it, watched it multiple times. So it still holds up. Happy 25th anniversary, Scream. You are one of my all-time favorite movies. The Rewatch Podcast is an Alpha Media production. Careful. This is the moment when the supposedly dead killer comes back to life for one last scare. <laughs> Not in my movie.